Oh, wow. Wait till you see this episode. Okay, the science might blow you away. Hang on to it because this is a topic. I know most of you watching and listening to this have heard of it, grounding, right? Well, we bring up some really critical truths you have to know about grounding. Uh, we bring it into the cell. That's why it's Cellular Healing TV. But this is about a device that I decided to test because if this actually works, this could be a game changer in everybody listening and watching, yes, our health. So stay tuned for an episode I think is going to blow you away. Get a notebook and pen ready because there's so many gems in here about oxalates, lectins, all these topics that you've heard a lot about and how electrons and how we can increase our electrons and electron deficiency could be why we are not functioning the way God intended. In grounding, I'll just say this right now. It's not the answer that we think. You need something more than that if you truly have an electron deficiency. Stay tuned for this episode on Cell TV. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome a repeat guest. His name is Spencer Feldman, and he has been formulating and manufacturing detoxification products for two decades. Awarded two U.S. patents, uh, some of his products that we love, his suppository versions of chelation therapy, liver gallbladder flushes, and coffee enemas have helped tens of thousands of people improve their health. You can check out episode 269 to learn more about Spencer's amazing research and the really helpful products that we all love. But today he is here to share some of his latest research. So I will let you two take it from here as this is going to be a really interesting episode. I cannot wait to hear all about this. So welcome Dr. Pampa and Spencer Feldman. Awesome. Yeah, well, th thanks for being back, uh, Spence. Uh, you're a wealth of knowledge, man. Now, and we, you and I resonate. Uh, we come from the same place, you know, get upstream the cause. Um, and, you know, and, and we also agree. You know, met, uh, functional medicine, if you will, I don't even know what to call it anymore. Alternative medicine has really uh, turned into a lot of expensive testing and pill pushing. And uh, are we really getting to the cause? You know, I, I'm blessed to train doctors from around the world. And my message is always, look, let, let's get back to causative factors. And man, that's where your nose always is. You were sick like me. And, you know, we just resonate on that, that same point. Now, today's topic is a causative factor that I think goes unnoticed. I think it can be shoved in the corner of woo-woo. Um, I think it's not understood by most, therefore not many people really pay attention to it. Then I think there's a group over here that um, you know, does pay attention to this, but there's a lot of crap out there, I'm just being honest, right? And my job is to decipher between the crap in the real thing <laughs> so but the science around this topic is where i want to start because it's not crap at all uh, when mm. we look at why people are sick or why they can't get their uh, health back this is a big player and now right now i think when we mention the word grounding everybody listening and watching probably has heard that okay now their understanding of it their belief of it is probably across the board spencer welcome and let's start right there okay what hey. the heck grounding man and let's bring some sense to this and then like always i want to bring solutions and i'm mm. going to say this you have a very very unique solution folks that we're going to get to that i'm presently testing because if it's what spencer thinks it is and maybe others uh, i think this is a really really cool breakthrough 
Um, and but we're going to talk about that. So I kind of just baited him, Spence. But all right, man. Let, let's start with the obvious. What the heck is grounding? Why is this a player? What's the science? Got it. Hey, um, well, first, thanks for having me on. And yeah. just to let you know, I'm going to be looking up every once in a while because I've got a whole uh, cool. chalkboard full of notes behind me because I couldn't do all this uh, extemporaneously. So, um, okay, so grounding. Um, yes, you and I are both looking for causal issues. And the way I explain this to clients is I would say, if you were dehydrated, kidney problems, lack of exercise, osteoporosis, lack of sunlight, depression, lack of sleep, inflammation, and mood stuff. The right answer for this is not drugs or even supplements. The right answer is water and exercise and sunshine and good sleep, right? We, we get that. Um, and a lot of people want to sell those things to us in a pill. But, you know, as practitioners, the best we can do is to try to figure out from a lifestyle perspective where they might have gone wrong. And there is a lifestyle issue we've all got wrong. And it happened very subtly, and I'll tell you what it is, it's electrons. Now, electrons come off the sun, they travel to uh, Earth on the solar wind, they hit the atmosphere, and then they come down to the Earth via lightning. So the entire Earth has a, uh, has a reservoir of electrons. And for as many you know, years or eons as life has been on this planet, just by touching the ground or living in a tree that touches the ground or wherever you are, as long as you're not in midair, you are continually getting a, this source of electrons. And so our biology evolved, assuming a continual free source of plentiful electrons to do what it needed to do. Then comes an interesting um, invention. It's rubber. And we get shoes. Now, this is good because you know, hookworm and um, uh, soil-based worms affect some 800 uh, million people on the planet, a lot of kids. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it was huge in the South for a long time. And so uh, having something that protects your feet um, from these parasites was great, but we paid a price for it. We electrically insulated ourselves from the ground. Now, we also uh, wear synthetic clothes and uh, we walk around on carpets. Now, there's um, every substance has an ability to hold or let go of electrons. You know, so two different substances, you rub them together, one, the electrons will go from one to the other. One will have a stronger affinity for it. Human skin has a very low affinity for electrons. You rub almost anything against skin and it'll lose electrons. Now, that's, I'm sure, a benefit evolutionarily in an evolutionary way because in a free electron system means we can flow very easily. But in an electron deficient system, it means that the moment someone starts wearing shoes and moves around in their nylon clothing and they're rubbing, you know, their clothes are rubbing against them and they're walking on their carpet, they're continually bleeding electrons out. Now, we're supposed to get electrons in our body in three main ways. Through our skin, mostly our feet, through the air we breathe and the food we eat. And we'll talk about those last two later. Let's talk about through the skin. What I believe happens is the electrons go through the, the feet uh, and enter the meridians and then go to the internal organs. I believe that meridians are a transport network for electrons, that the chi in many ways is electrons. And so when we're walking barefoot on the ground, the electrons go through our feet, they feed our meridians, they feed our organs, the body's happy. But when we don't make contact with the earth, 
then our electrons are bled out of our organs through the same channels, the same meridians that are meant to feed them. So the other issue is the higher you are away from the earth, the lower the voltage. So for instance, uh, and this is why I think people on the second floor in two-story homes have a much higher risk of heart attack and strokes. Uh, as an example, for every 100 feet, you are above the surface of the earth. Now that doesn't mean uh, uh, in a mountain 100 feet high, you're still on the earth. For every 100 feet separated from the earth or insulated from the earth, uh, sorry, for every foot of the, above the earth, it's a 100 volt drop. One foot above the earth, it's 100 volts. Now, I grew up in New York City in the eighth floor, and each floor is 10 feet. So eight feet, uh, eight floors, 10 feet, that's you know, 80 feet times 100 volts per foot. So I was living at 8,000 volts positive. That meant that just in my apartment growing up, there was a force, because voltage is force, of 8,000 volts leaving my body at all times, as opposed so, to the- so, so technically, if you live most homes, most, not all, I have a basement. So you're one floor, you're 10 feet above, you know, even in a, you know, regular home, right? Just because- There you go. Okay. So right off the bat, if you're 10 feet now, that's 10 times 100. So there you go, you're a thousand volts positive. Now, I had a carpet on my floor and every once in a while when I'd walk across the carpet, if I touched the doorknob, if it was a dry enough day, I'd get a shock. Yeah. A shock from a doorknob is a, a minimum of 7,000 volts relative. Okay, so that meant I grew up in approximately a 15,000 volts positive field, right? That meant that there's 8,000 volts positive from being up high and 7,000 volts positive from walking on a carpet. Just keep in mind, positive means the absence of. It's a little tricky in electronics. Yeah, because the electrons are negative, so yeah. Right. So there was a 15,000 volt deficit at minimum for me growing up, and I was a sickly kid. So then I find out about grounding or earthing, and I'm like, wow, this is great. This is smart. I'm and I run grounding rods through my house and over my bed and in my workspace. And it's subtle, it's nice, it's okay. Um, I didn't get any of the really amazing results I heard in the book, but you know, maybe I didn't have a huge issue anymore, I don't know. But I thought if some is good, well, what would happen if I got more, right? I'm thinking if I grew up at 15,000 volts positive, touching the earth takes me to neutral. That takes me to zero. I might need 15,000 negative to replenish myself. So I built a machine that would generate 15, 20, I actually got it up to 30,000, 35,000 volts negative, 35,000 volts of electrons being pushed into my body. And all of these interesting things happened. Um, so what I'd like to talk about first would be, um, Four symptoms. So, so what I started doing is um, all these things happened, and I'll tell you what they were. And so I went into the literature, you know, do electrons affect free in, uh, antioxidants? Do electrons, how do they affect cell signaling and bacteria models? Uh, what happens with cell growth? So I'm going to talk about four ways, and I'm sure there's more, that electron deficiency syndrome, as I would call it, I think other people have used that phrase, uh, four things that it can cause, and that would be crystallizations in the body, free radical uh, activity out of control, uh, opportunistic infections, and unregulated cell growth. 
Yeah, okay, so this is a great place to start. You set it up perfectly, by the way. Um, so again, I think that we all recognize the effects of grounding um, and the need for it because of modern living, right? You know, wearing rubber shoes, living in the homes, as you just pointed out, you know, and, and that, that, that all keeps us from this thing that the earth gives us, right? And making it very simple, it's this, uh, you know, electron thing that when we lack electrons, it starts to affect how our cells communicate. It affects, you know, obviously these four things that we're gonna dissect here. And then I think you're going to answer the, the, the question that all of us watching and listening to this would have. Well, how do I know that this is affecting me? Meaning, I don't have an electron microscope. I don't have a way of looking necessarily at my electron status. So, you know, what are some of these things that we can look at and say, okay, this, I have that, I'm being affected that way. And then being able to, you know, increase our own grounding. I mean, after the show, hopefully everyone starts, you know, walking around and grounding more. But to your point, that's the next question. Then we're going to get into those things that people can look at. Can't we just start walking around, you know, around outside in our, our bare feet more and, can't we just go online, they sell the grounding plates, and would that help? Or even the grounding that we plug our beds in, right? And they have grounding mats, they have grounding sheets. So let, let's, you know, before we get to those things, are those things even effective enough, Spencer? Because my aunt, I obviously know because you did all that, but why? <laughs> let's say um, a man is going through the desert and he's really dehydrated and the rescue team grabs him. Are they gonna give him a glass of water? They're going to give him an IV. They're going to hydrate this guy right now aggressively to try to save his life. Because he's going to, he could die. He, he, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so sometimes you need something a little bit more aggressive if the damage has been enough. Okay. If somebody had spent their life barefoot on the ground their whole life, no, they would never need this thing. Although it does have some interesting effects for other purposes, they wouldn't quote unquote need it. Imagine you've got a sponge and it's been left out in the sun or somebody baked it in an oven and you take the sponge out and you wipe it over a wet surface. It's not going to absorb any water. It's been so changed that water alone will not rehydrate it. It's probably going to have to go like in a pressure vessel and push water into it, something to overcome the effect that's happened. The lack of electrons at, at such a great level, right? At, at thousands of volts in human tissue changes our tissue in a way that I don't believe grounding can reverse. Okay. I think you need to go in and, and I think um, the first thing we could talk about crystals will give a perfect explanation okay. as to why that's the you case. Experience that. I mean, you know, you tried all those things. You, you said you were the master of those things and it wasn't working. So, okay. I think your analogy was really good. Okay. So go to the crystals. This is one of the effects that the lack of electrons will have on our body and then you'll show us what some of those outward effects would be. Okay, so uh, if you have a cell phone, you know that you shouldn't, uh, let's, let's talk about a car battery, okay? Um, car batteries are designed to be dropped down a little bit when the car starts and then recharged by the alternator. And if you only let it go down a little bit and then, keep, and then fully recharge it, that battery will last its full lifetime. The worst thing you can do for the car battery is uh, to let it drain down too low and stay there for a while. 
And the reason is because all batteries are in a constant state of crystallizing. Uh, in the case of a car battery, it's lead sulfate crystallizing. The sulfur and the sulfuric acid bonds with the lead plate, making lead sulfate. And as long as the battery doesn't get too low, meaning you only have soft, mild crystals, and the charge goes back up fully, those crystals dissolve as much as they're going to, the battery lasts a long time. However, if you let the charge get low enough and stay low enough, long enough, it will no longer recharge back to 100%. There are crystals in there that have become permanent. Now, you can do something, you can actually take a device on it that will pulse electricity into the lead acid battery to shatter the crystals. And then you can, in some cases, in many cases, if it's not completely gone, recover a degree of that battery. And the, the same thing happens for us. So you mean like, like you're giving it the, the shock, like uh, they put those generators on and refurbish them? Is that what that does? Meaning it's putting in a so of electricity? Well, right, so if, you're jump, if you take your battery and just recharge it, let's say you take a battery and, and you put it on a, on a charger, that will bring it up, but it won't break up the crystals. If okay. you want to break the crystals, you have to do something different, and I'll, I'll explain what that does in a minute. Now, humans, every cell in our body is like a little battery. And there are a couple of other things that will cause us to crystallize. One is lack of electricity. So we walk around ungrounded for years and years, you know, insulated in high-rise buildings, whatever you're doing, crystals form that even if you go and say, well, I, I went to the park, I walked barefoot, I went for a swim in the ocean, it's not enough. The crystals are there now. Uh, so we have the same issue in terms of how we generate crystals, which is if we don't get enough electrons. Additionally, if we dehydrate, the crystal forming elements in the body become more saturated and come out, can salt out in solution. Um, and then there's also dietary precursors that will do it. Uh, so oxal there are at least 17 crystal types of crystals that can form in the human body. Uh, and I'm going to talk about one of the, the nastier ones, which uh, oxalates. Now, uh, oxalates are formed in plants to stiffen the tissue of the plant, to um, sequester or store minerals, and also to defense, defend against uh, grazing. It's, you know, it makes the animal that eats them get sick, so uh, they put oxalates into their tissue so animals won't eat them as much. So we are exposed to oxalates from several sources. And this is one of the crystals that form in the human body, and there's many. Uh, we make a small amount in the Krebs cycle, so there's no getting around, some will be there. Uh, also, there's some foods that we think are healthy. Uh, spinach, almonds, soy, chocolate, chia seeds, very high in oxalates. And uh, cert um, uh, certain types of kale, actually most kales. So, you know, we think that we're... You know, spinach is an interesting one, Dr. Pampa. Uh, back in the turn of the last century, there was a lot of malnutrition, so they came up with a cartoon to get kids to eat spinach, right? Popeye, um, because spinach has a lot of nutrients, but the nutrients are, are unavailable because they're locked up in oxalates, and it's incredibly high in oxalates. So eating spinach is actually um, a very, for all the good it has, it's so high in oxalates, I don't think it's personally worth it, and the old school way, so, you know, in the old days, you would boil spinach and toss the water. 
because the oxalates, about a third of them will come out of the water, they're soluble. But now we put raw spinach in our salad and think we're being healthy. In India, they intuitively grasped to, to cook spinach with cheese because the calcium would bind with the free oxalate and make it less absorbable. But when we toss away the ancient knowledge of how to cook, meaning, hey, put these things together, cook this way, pour out the water, we get, it with, we get issues. And then the last way, um, two other ways we get oxalates. They're now sprayed with the glyphosates. Um, there's a patent that says, hey, add oxalates to glyphosate, becomes more effective. So they were sprayed directly in our crops. And then chemtrails, and hat tip to uh, Dr. Klinghart for figuring this out, the barium and aluminum that's coming down for the geoengineering they're doing uh, is landing on our crops, and the crops are responding uh, to these toxic metals by upgrading, upregulating their oxalate production so they can sequester it, which we then eat. Okay, oxalate is basically two carbon dioxide molecules stuck together. And they can take a couple of forms. They can take raphides, which are these very thin needle shapes, and that causes a lot of pain in the tissue. Or they can get these big clumpy rocks, which are what cause kidney stones and such. But oxalates have been associated with autism, fibromyalgia, neurologic conditions, leaky gut, skin problems, it makes candida more aggressive and kidney stones. It's one of the many crystals that form in the body. I'm picking this one because, you know, I think oxalates could use some more airtime in our world. So uh, historically, uh, the way stones were treated was with lime, potash, and soda. These were three alkalizing agents. Lime was created, lime is um, burnt seashells, calcium carbonate, seashells or eggshells. Potash, um, potash, potassium, potassium, is the ash, um, from burnt plant matter, and so, that, so that's pot potassium uh, carbonate. Um, and then the, uh, uh, the soda is potash made from uh, sodium-rich plants. But not all crystallizing forms in the body will break down with alkaline agents like this, and um, oxalates are among them. So okay, that's just the beginning of a whole world of, of crystallization disorders that happen in humans. And I thought, all right, um, I'm exposed to these oxalates. Even if I cut them out of my diet, I'm still making them. And then there's all these other crystals. And I know that I've got them or I suspect that I've got them because I have not been barefoot on the ground my whole life. So I had let my charged, my battery charge drop. And so I started crystallizing. So I said, okay, I don't think it's enough to just go and ground uh, or to, to earth myself in the same way a damaged car battery it's not enough to recharge it it won't hold the charge mm -hmm. okay so um the first thing that happened for me is i started um i i made this machine and i put in uh what eventually became about twenty thousand volts a uh, negative through my body or into my body and all these things started changing for me uh a lot of people think that if you're an alternative medicine you're in perfect health, and certainly you should be in better health, but a lot of people who are in alternative medicine are there because they were failed by the traditional medical model and decided to figure it out for themselves. So I had a couple of things that I'd had for 15, 20 years, and I'd gotten used to it. I had done something foolish in my 20s. I had eaten a fruitarian diet thinking, I'm not harming anybody this way, it's karma-free. And all that fructose created a lot of uh, AGEs, a lot of you know, uh, glycation end products, and I ended up with 
um, peripheral, neuro, um, peripheral neuropathy and peripheral artery disease in my feet. And what that meant was my feet were always cold. Even in summer, I had to have thick wool socks on and they were numb or tingly. And, you know, I couldn't have anybody touch my feet. It would hurt. And another thing is I always had this little dot on my nose. It wasn't cancer, but it wasn't normal. I had a lot more vascularization than I would like. It was stable. I'm like, okay, I'll leave it there. So I started using the machine. I started putting electrons in me at high levels. And within a few nights, I'm like, my, my feet are, no, my feet are getting hot. <laughs> and so I said, all right, I'm, I'm not going to go to bed with socks on tonight. I'm going to put them by the bedside. And if I wake up at three in the morning with freezing feet, I'll, I'll put them on. And that was the last time I ever wore socks to bed. And I've been doing it for 20 years. And, and how, so, many, how many days uh, of you know, bringing all these electrons in via the machine? Um, it started after about three or four days. Okay. Now, mind you, I was doing a, a prodigious amount because my body was craving it so much. I was doing it six hours a day. Um, and so now I, when I'm at home, I, I walk around barefoot, which was wonderful. And then I got my first foot rub in 20 years because it didn't hurt. And then my balance got better because, you know, I could feel the ground again. Um, so the, num so the, 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 temp the heat came in, the circulation came in in about three days with the electrons. The numbness cleared up 95% within about two weeks. And then all that was left was just two spots on my big toes that were numb. And that cleared up about a week later. And then I looked in the mirror and I'm like, what's that little dry spot on my nose? That's weird. It doesn't look like a scab and I don't remember poking myself in a garden. Anyway, a couple of days later, it kind of dries off and it comes off. And I realized that that's where that little kind of precancerous growth was. It had dried up, fallen off, my body had ejected it out. And I thought, wow, if I was able to do that with one that I can see, is this doing just the same thing in places I can't see? All right. Okay, so that was the first thing. Then something very crazy happened to me. Um, I started eating a different kind of, a friend introduced me to chia seeds. And I said, oh, wow, these are tasty. And okay, they've got this great nutritional profile. So I started making a breakfast with chia seeds, almonds, cardamom, dates, and soaked sesame seeds. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it does. And they're all way at the top level of oxalates. Yeah. And so I created a toxic oxalate perfect storm for myself. And about a week or two later, and mind you, I'm also keto, I'm also paleo, so I don't do any grains. So I wasn't getting phytic acid, as, which is another thing that can help deal with stones. So um, a week later, uh, my machine malfunctions. It was, a, it was a prototype, and I had it on for like six hours straight. And it started to, to go into an auto-protect mode where it would turn off and on and off and on impulse. I said, okay, I'm gonna have to fix that because I want people to be able to use it 24 seven if they want. Um, the next morning, there was incredible amounts of debris in my urine. It was, it was, it was a mess. And there was even, it looked like a little bit of blood. And I'm like, wow, that's, I'm not, I don't feel painful anywhere, nothing hurts, um, but, that's probably not good. So let's stop everything I'm doing and, and see what that was. Okay, but no symptoms. So I stopped everything, including the machine. The next day, I'm walking somewhere, or I'm actually in my kitchen, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh my God, what the, and I hit the ground. And I am in cr crazy pain. I'm like, oh my God, and I, I, I talked to my, my partner, I'm like, 
I need to go to the hospital. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, get me to the hospital. This isn't right. And we get there and I'm, you know, they rush me right in because I'm moaning in agony. And I'm like, is this the kidney stone? They're like, yeah, this looks like a kidney stone. Mm. And I'm being, you know, I don't like taking drugs. And they're like, well, we have to give you an IV to hydrate you. I'm like, fine. They're like, do you want painkillers? I'm like, no, it'll pass, right? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. They're like, what's your pain level at? I'm like, nine. Never been in that much pain. And then I start puking. And I'm like, I don't feel nauseous. Why am I puking? And they're like, well, extreme pain can make you vomit. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, I'm there, I'm there. And then all of a sudden, 10, it hits me. And I'm just like, okay, painkillers, right? Give me them. I'll take, I'll take their narcotic right now. Go for it. I'm like, that's, that's too much. And um, I take that. And then finally, the, you know, the stone moves a little bit. And I'm like, okay, I think I can go home. And they want to do a CAT scan. I'm like, don't do a CAT scan. I don't want x-rays. Give me an ultrasound. And they're like, they're looking. I'm like, okay, that was the last stone. You're done. I go home. Next day, stone, I, mean, I get another stone. I'm like, oh God, all right. It's not as bad as the first one. So I'm not gonna go to the hospital yet. And I still have some painkillers. Let me see if I can wait this out. 20 hours on my hands and knees, right? After the 20th hour, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm out of reserve, right? I'm not that much of a badass. I can't take anymore. What about the machine? And I said, you know what? That stuff that came out of me, that was that was from the machine that was a kidney stone the machine the electrons blew up a kidney stone and the only reason i got the second and third is because i stopped with the electrons hmm. i'm gonna t you know what i'm gonna take a i'm gonna take a, a gamble here i'm gonna put, put it on the line i'm gonna put it right over where the pain is and i'm gonna see what happens and i put it over where the pain is and boom i'm out and I, i'm asleep in, in a few minutes and i just and it's the first sleep i've had in all these hours and I wake up in 20 minutes and I'm like, oh my God, the pain's gone. It was gone. So now I'm in love with this machine, right? Because it saved me from, from your phrase, I'm in love with electrons because yeah. electrons saved me from the most horrific pain I've ever been in. And when you're in that kind of pain, Dr. Pomp, the only thing that I was able to hang on to my you know, sanity with was at least when this is done, I'm going to figure it out so other people can avoid this. Right, and the way it happened, this perfect storm of oxalates in my breakfast, the first stone that I blew up without knowing it, the second one that I experienced, right. it was basically a control of N of one, right? Yeah. I got to go through three stones, one I, knocked, one I knocked out, one I went to the hospital for, and then the third I knocked out. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a great love of this thing. Um, I got it to a couple of other people, uh, one with, I got, uh, so I got uh, one person with Lyme disease to get voltage and he calls me up the next day and he's taking off his, his jacket in the, um, in the, in the supermarket because people with Lyme, they're freezing cold all the time. And he's like, I, I, I'm sweating. I'm like, I'm like, Oh, your body temperature came back. I'm like, look at your fingertips. Are they still white? He's like, no, they're bright red. I'm like, thumbs up. Right. And then I had a, um, a woman with a very serious disease. Uh, and she started using it, and uh, all of a sudden, she's sending me pictures and emails of things coming out of her in the toilet. And um, first, it was like mucus sheaths, and then it was what looked like um, liver flukes. And then there were some things she said that when they came out of the toilet, they were still alive. She kind of fished one out with her, you know, and it wrapped around the, her finger or whatever she got it with. So uh, I invite you 
if you go to YouTube and type in the words electricity and worms, mm -hmm. and what you're going to find are videos of people who go fishing and want fresh worms, so they bring a car battery, and they drive um, probes into the ground from the battery, and the electricity drives the worms out. It turns out worms hate electricity. Mm. So uh, there is some, um, you know, you know, some people would say, oh, I, I don't want to see these things coming out alive. That's horrible. I'm like, yeah, but you have to understand when you've got something that's dug way up into the tissue, if you kill it, it'll just stay there and rot and have to be encased or insisted or digested. It's much better if on its own, it crawls out and leaves. Well, it's true because when you kill them too, you make a lot of waste that people's detox pathways, lymph is already challenged and oftentimes you, you make it more challenging. Uh, you know, okay, so just in review, you know, one way is with this lack of electrons affects our increase in these crystals, right? Hmm. And then, and of course, you know, you add that to the oxalates that we're already exposed to um, in higher amounts, it makes even more crystals, right? Hmm. And, and your, your story actually proved that. Um, and arguably, you'd be able to deal with the oxalates even in the diet if you had enough electrons. Am I making the right ass assessment? You, there may be outliers of people who produce a lot of oxalates internally, have a huge amount in the diet, and don't make a lot of the elements that the body makes to naturally break down oxalates. But I think for most of us, uh, that right. wouldn't be the case. So, but I mean, uh, if the, old, the American Indians, you know, walking around, uh, always grounding, etc. I mean. Uh, they could obviously get high, way higher oxalates without, without an issue than we would today. Yes, uh, yeah. yes. Okay, so yeah. that's a factor. And then there's also, I know that, you know, electrons affect our cell membrane potentials, the mitochondrial membrane, the outer membrane, which therefore is going to create a lot of different problems, even an increase of pathogens in the cell, intracellular, which is a whole other mm. thing, especially when you're dealing with viruses. You know, you know, there's a protection with the cell membrane. It's part of what I teach. Um, so mm. that has to be part, part of this. Yeah, you know, uh, let me just finish off this one thought and we can jump into cell membranes. Okay. The other issue with not killing the parasites is every parasite within it has littler parasites, right? Uh, right. Yeah. Has Bartonella. Okay. Um, so if you keep it intact, you may avoid that. Okay. Um, a couple of dietary things, right? Obviously avoid the oxalates. Um, you can also use Epsom salts in a bath, potassium citrate. Now, the reason I would use Epsom salts in a bath is because magnesium makes oxalates 567 times. Magnesium oxalate is 567 times more soluble than calcium oxalate. So if there is calcium oxalate stones and magnesium gets to them, it can dissolve make them dissolve. So you're saying there's different types of Epsom salt? There's the well, what I'm saying is don't take magnesium. All right. There's a thing called an oxalate dump. If somebody stops taking oxalates cold turkey, you know, then the body can suddenly push a lot of oxalates out and they can actually create temporary symptoms. They could even give themselves a kidney stone from doing this. So you have to be mindful. If you just go cold turkey off the oxalates, let me tell you how to do it safely. Don't take magnesium orally because that'll make the oxalates more absorbable through the gut. But take it through the skin as magnesium sulfate, as Epsom salt baths, the magnesium will get to the already made oxalates in the tissue rather than bring it across the intestinal wall, can help break that down. And potassium citrate, because the citrate and the sulfate of the magnesium sulfate both compete with the um, receptors and transporters for the oxalates. 
so we can outcompete them. Um, the other thing is, if you are using electrons to uh, blast them up, uh, and I, then as they break into smaller pieces, um, the, the things you're taking to dissolve them have an infinitely, uh, an exponentially larger surface area. There's one last thing I want to talk about, about crystals before we finish. Uh, if you look at oxalates, there are two carbon dioxide molecules stuck together. Stuck together. And we know from, um, uh, from science that if you put voltage at oxalate crystals, they'll actually divide back into carbon dioxide. Uh, and so there's two ways that voltage can help with, uh, with crystals, and oxalate in particular. One is it can split the carbon-carbon bond to render it back into carbon dioxide and exhale it. The second is called something, did we mention the piezoelectric effect yet? No. Okay. There's something in physics called the piezoelectric effect. And it's, uh, it says that if you squeeze a crystal, if you stress a crystal, electricity comes out. But that can go in reverse. If you uh, put electricity into a crystal, it becomes stressed. So the way in which um, the voltage spikes of the machines that recover the car batteries that my machine inadvertently did works is the voltage spikes are creating a reverse piezoelectric effect to, um, to shatter uh, crystals. So what I did with the unit is I said, okay, not only do I want to run, be able to run this 24-7, but I also want to intentionally pulse it. So I put a, a spark gap pulsing unit in there so you have the option to pulse it. To, to, to give that reverse piezoelectric effect to, um, for, for crystals that are there. But okay, let's, um, let's go to cell membranes. Uh, so Real fast, so the, the Epsom salt bath you're saying, even with the machine will help, right? Because you're pulling, you know, it, it creates, so instead of taking magnesium orally, which, you know, could make us absorb more oxalates, by doing Epsom baths as we lower our oxalates, it's, it's a help with the machine, with the dietary lowering. That's the point though, correct? With or without the machine, if you're doing an oxalate dump, yeah. Epsom salts and potassium citrate. Okay, got it. If you have the ability to, ask, to add electrons to that at the same time and, and stay very well hydrated, more power to you. And, and where do we get the potassium citrate? Everyone get Epsom salts anywhere. Oh, you can get that in bulk. It's, it's so cheap. Yeah. Just, just I get mine from I mean, you can find it in most uh, stores. Um, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, you can get it from bulk supplements um, on Amazon, you know, by the kilo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the end. You just do, you know, I, I use like a quarter of a teaspoon. I'm not concerned. I know there's some spooky, you know, some concerns about too much potassium. That's because one woman with, died from uh, uh, some potassium years ago who was already had you know, terrible kidneys. You know, I'll, you know, the idea that 100 milligrams, that supplements can only be 99 milligrams of potassium basically makes a banana, you know, illegal. It's absurd. Uh, so I do. Yeah, okay. So the, the Epsom salt bath with just some oral potassium citrate, very simple, uh, nothing magical, quarter teaspoon if you get a powder on average. Okay, got it. Okay. All right, so clarify. Now let's talk about membranes. Okay, membranes. So um, we know from the great work of doc, uh, Dr. Tennant that uh, there is a, a voltage requ a differential required at cells. And when the cell voltage drops, I think it's um, typically below 30 um, for most, uh, prostate uh, cells tend to have low voltage, but for most cells, when it drops below 30, uh, a normal cell that can, a normal cell can be made cancerous by dropping its voltage below 30. And cancer cells have low voltage. Mm -hmm. So you can take a normal cell, turn it cancerous with low voltage. That's actually the on switch for replication is low voltage. 
The, but you can take a cancerous cell and make it stop dividing, stop replicating by raising its voltage. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what I think was going on with this little growth I had on my nose is I raised my voltage enough that you know, uh, the unregulated cell growth parts in me you know, just got ejected. Uh, the average person at 50 is walking around with microtumors in their prostate and, and colon and lungs and breasts. And, by, you know, and as long as these things don't get the growth signal, you know, they, they don't cause any problems. Uh, so voltage plays an enormous role in cell differentiation and healing, repair, but also uh, unwanted cell growth. Okay, yeah, so by raising the electrons, we're raising the membrane potentials, um, mm -hmm. therefore uh, protecting the cell from being a bad cell under 30, to your point, which can lead to cancer and other problems and even uh, increases your chance of pathogens affecting the cell. So mm -hmm. let me ask you this. So with the device, um, you know, how can we test what's happening to our membrane potentials, you know, and therefore our general health. I mean, because this is a big deal. Um, you know, membrane potentials is how our cells even generate ATP cell energy and how good we feel. I mean, all that is membrane potential. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other thing is, uh, it's important in order to raise, it's not enough just to raise the cell membrane potential. We have to decrystallize the cell so it can mean, so it can keep it. If there's crystals, not only can't we get the voltage up in a cell, but whatever voltage we do go up, it won't stay there as long. It's just so like the, the car battery. Form, the crystals form in the membrane. Now we're back to the battery conversation as the example. The battery dies, we have all these crystals. You can charge it up, but it won't stay charged until we get, break down the crystals. So these crystals form in the membranes, and that's what you're saying, am I right? I don't know if they're in the membranes, but the, they're, in the t they're in the tissue. Okay. Um, I think one way that we could test would be uh, an oxalate dump. We could take uh, someone's urine afterwards, spin it in a centrifuge, you know, and, and look at it under a microscope and see what comes out of them. So if they're in the tissues, these crystals, then um, how are they affecting the cell, the cells so dramatically if they're not in the cell and in the membrane? Right. So I think, I can't prove it, but my, we know that they're in the tissues because we can see that in microscopic tissue analysis. We can see the raphides in the tissue itself. Um, I believe that they're uh, in the cell membranes and, and damaging the membrane's capacity to charge. I can't prove it. It's just okay. what I think is happening. Okay. All right. So by utilizing the electrons, increasing the electrons via uh, the machine, um, what's happening when we do that in the membrane? Well, if I understand correctly, the, the reverse piezoelectric effect will take a crystal and stress it to the point where it breaks into pieces. Now, if you break oxalate into pieces, it's carbon dioxide, you can exhale it. But there's also urates and uh, calcium phosphates, and I mean, there's a jillion types of stones that, that human beings can get. So if we harness that effect, then we should be decrystallizing the tissue. Now, uh, membranes, so not all crystals are bad. Uh, bones are crystals of apatite and uh, hydroxyapatite and others. Yeah. Calcite. Um, also, DNA and cell membranes and uh, connective tissue are liquid crystals. Okay. Uh, so these are crystals that aren't solid per se. So uh, liquid crystals are what everyone's watching this video on right now. Their screen is an LCD display. So we know that the liquid crystal aspect of us is highly responsive to 
electric fields because that's what's allowing the colors and the shapes to form on the screen that we're, we're watching us on. So I think that the electrons are having a very powerful effect at a number of different levels. We have the uh, breaking of uh, large crystals. We have the inhibition of new crystals forming. Um, the human body, all right, so let's think of it this way. If I take a balloon and rub it on my arm, it'll stick to the wall, right? And the reason it does is because the balloon and the wall are arguing over who gets to hang on to the electrons. That's right. And then it falls down. Now, if you were to um, take that balloon and instead of a wall, you put it in the tube, there's more surface area, it's gonna get stuck more. Now you shrink that balloon and that tube down to capillary size, right? Capillaries are 85% of our blood flow. It's mostly capillary and only 5%, you know, 15% um, artery and vein. As you shrink down in size, microscopically, the smaller you go, the more exponentially powerful electrostatic effects become. Now, if you look at blood inside of a capillary, you won't see it move sometimes. You'll see it get stuck or wiggle or vibrate and then finally goes through. I believe part of what's going on is the lack of electrons are causing the red blood cells to stick at the capillary level. They don't have enough electrical force to move through. Yeah, this is an interesting thought, right? There's a device called Beamer that I have one. I love it. It's German technology. They use a sine wave. It's an electromagnetic field is what it is to your point. And it does work. It increases capillary circulation. I mm. mean, it really does. And they're using a sine wave, again, which is an electromagnetic field to do so. And you can see before and after, I mean, ultrasounds on capillaries and watch the blood just speed right up through a capillary. And, you know, clinically, we can see a difference in people in this capillary circulation, bringing in nutrients, bringing out the uh, toxins. So that's the point you're making is these fields, electromagnetic fields, increase this flow, uh, this they, circulation. Right. And uh, let, me get, let me talk about the Beamer and devices like that and talk about the difference between voltage and current. If you have, two, if you have a water tank and uh, 20 feet high full of water and you drill a small hole through it, the amount of water that comes through is the current. The force with which it comes through is the voltage, right? So there are, you could roughly say, three types of machines that are out there electrically. There are things that have current, this would be TENS, unit or the Scanar device or anything that passes electricity from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. It doesn't raise the amount of electrons in your body. It yeah, passes. Yeah. It, it works for what it's doing, but it's not raising electrons. I get that. Right, because it's the same number, it's passing them through and everyone that goes in goes out the other way. Um, then there's radiating devices like the Beamer or PEMF. Uh, and I love PEMF. I've got a- Yeah, me too. I love right. it too. But we don't have a, uh, PM, we don't have a um, PEMF deficiency, right? Um, I don't have a pulsed magnetic field to deficiency. So to me, a pulsed magnetic field, you know, the Beamer, all of these devices, they're in the kind of drug model because they have an effect and it's a yeah. great effect, it but is. it's not, but we don't have a deficiency of, of, I don't have a deficiency of electrons going through me as a current, nor do I have a deficiency of pulsed magnetic fields. They work, they're great tools, but they're not my deficiency. My yeah, deficiency maybe maybe right. they would argue um, that you do have a, a deficiency of electric electric electricity, right? And, and mm. the energy 
that it creates, right? And but your your point, I think, is that by offering the actual electron, we're offering a more lasting energy. There's no natural source of pulse electromagnetic fields in the environment, right? There is the natural source of electrons. So let's. What I would say is just understand what each of these is. The beamer is a supplement. The electrons are food. You have to have food. Yeah. You may also want a supplement. But before you go and try to figure out what supplement you need, ask yourself, are you eating? Because if you're eating, you might not need the supplement. Even though the supplement has amazing applications. It's just, yeah. where does it come in? Okay, so a good, good analogy. And then, um, so we're offering the body these electrons. Okay, how, how do we utilize a device like this in proof? that we've increased electrons. So if your analogy is, okay, great, you know, we both love those devices, but they're not offering electrons, you know, my brain goes, okay, I want to know that I'm offering my body these electrons. How do I know? Okay, let me, uh, get one last thing and we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, and it, one of the many things that happen to the body, so remember we talked about the balloon, the essence of all glue, the essence of all adhesive, adhesives is lack of electrons. So there's lots of things that don't have enough electrons that are glue right? Lectins, which are another issue, are very positively charged. They glue to us. So the, the crystallization phenomena, you could even call it part of a greater phenomena, which we call adhesives. There are many adhesives that we create and take in that if we don't have the electrons to neutralize them, they're going to be a challenge. So how do we know that we're getting electrons? Well, if you have the equipment, and um, you know, I can lend you some of it and you can see for yourself, you can actually measure the charge on the body. So uh, I got a bunch of machines that said they were increasing electrons. No, they weren't. I, I was looking at the machine. There was no deflection of the needle. It didn't do anything. Well, it didn't add electrons. Um, and then I'm looking at how the machine works. I'm like, oh, this is current, not voltage. I want voltage. I want more electrons in me, not necessarily a flow of them. I want more of them. So you can, if you have um, the right equipment, measure the deflection of the electrons building up in your skin. You can see your hair start to stand straight up with the electrons actually trying to leave your body because you've got so many in there, you'll actually see it, you know, cause that effect. Um, you could look at the zeta potential of the blood under a microscope. You could look at um, oxalate dumping in the urine. Uh, the easiest thing to do is just see how you feel. Yeah, okay, but you can actually, because I'm, I'm testing the device, uh, folks, just so you know, and I said this in the beginning, that I'm gonna test the device, right? I, I'm so fascinated by the subject that I wanted to do the show, but what you'll see when you hang in at the end of the show is you know, some of my uh, personal experiences uh, in my families with the device, but also, Spence, I would love to test. I would, if you could give me a device to actually test too, because I'm that guy. I like subjective. I love subjective stuff. But you know, I'm N one. My children are always N two, three, four. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but you know, I, I would like objective findings as well, just to see an electron change before and after. How long does it last? I like to run through all that. Yeah, I, you know, I think it would be great, uh, and eventually, I'm, I'm sure I'll do it uh, to do a bunch of pre and post. Um, urinary markers, you know, go to Great Smokies or, uh, you know, go to some of the labs and check my antioxidant levels. And actually, uh, speaking of antioxidants, um, let's talk about antioxidants. Yeah, you said there's four. I think we got two, but anyways, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we got two more. So, um, anti you know, so where we breathe, you know, we are exposed to free radicals, which mostly are chemicals and compounds missing an electron. 
And we have antioxidants that will donate an electron to them. But what's not talked about is that once the antioxidant donates the electron, they define the vitamin C, whatever, it itself becomes another free radical. Now, it's a lesser free radical, but it's still a free radical. And what's supposed to happen is the antioxidant is supposed to be recharged. It's supposed to get another electron again and go back into the game. Uh, NADPH, for instance, will recycle electron, uh, antioxidants. But if we don't have enough free electrons in our body, then when the antioxidant we eat or make internally interacts with the free radical and neutralizes it, and then goes back and says, okay, charge me up again, I'm ready to get back in the fight, and there's no. So I think it's much better to have a normal amount of antioxidants in your body and a, and a, and a surplus of electrons so they can keep recycling and going, because an antioxidant can op operate a million to a billion reactions per second, right? So I'd rather have a normal amount of antioxidants with a huge surplus of electrons to keep them going than constantly taking pills and pills of antioxidants, have them do their job once well, I mean, and stop. On this end, this is a big topic, the antioxidants, because we know by taking even too, much too many antioxidants isn't good. We need reduction. You know, that's taking antioxidants. We need oxidation for driving immunity and other cellular energy processes. So where does redox molecules fit into this? Meaning that your cells use reduction oxidative molecules that our cells and our mitochondria make for this communication of balancing redox, reduction and oxidation. So the old school of taking all these antioxidants, that's kind of gone. Where does this fit in? That's well, a great question. And what I would say is, by and large, people are on the oxidized side of the equation. But indeed, there are, there are studies where you can see people getting sick from antioxidants. Yeah. And what I would say is, give the body what it needs and let it sort it out. It's smarter That's than we are. So people say, right? Like there's a product, a CEO we've had people on talk about, which people, it's an incredible product for people, right? And there's other ones, hydrogen molecule. You know, you're kind of just throwing in a redox and saying the body decides whether it needs oxidation or reduction, and it could have different needs at different times of the day, even, for goodness sakes. Sure. Let the give the body all the electrons at once, and it'll be smart enough to know what to do. All right. And by the way, I love, you know, breathing in Brown's gas. I, I'm a big fan of hydrogen. And I yeah, feel like... No, hydrogen is basically what you're saying. I mean, it's kind of offering the electron. I mean, you know, it's part of this equation here. Well, you know, we thought that the hydrogen ion was the world's smallest antioxidant. It's the world's second smallest antioxidant. It's the electron is the smallest one. Yeah. So for everything that we say about hydrogen, you know, for hydrogen's ability to go everywhere, it's true, but it's only doing so by virtue of the electron that it's giving. Right. Okay. So, so that's um, the whole antioxidant thing. There's also what I would call um, opportunistic infections. And most infections, 95% of the infections plus, that people get are opportunistic. These are composters that are creating biofilms. And you know, it's a reasonable question to ask. You know, we are not in a sterile environment. No food you eat is sterile, no water you drink is sterile, no air you breathe is sterile, your blood itself isn't sterile. We are living in a soup of microorganisms. And why is it that these opportunistic infections can get into some people and be so hard to kick? Because, you know, we can try to fight them, but what makes them think that we're dinner, right? I mean, why does Candida think that we are something to eat? Right. It's, 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 it's a, it should be growing on a, on a 
on a, on a landfill. It should be growing in your compost pile, not inside your pot. Well, when our force fields are down, they will think we're dead and try to take us over. <laughs> right, so there's got to be some signal, right? There's something that they are checking with. They, they've got to have their checklist. They go in, they're, they're in ubiquitous in the environment, and there's a trigger that says, okay, start eating, start growing. And I think that the, and what they're looking for is dead or diseased or damaged tissue, right? That's what infections like. How does it, now obviously when, when any tissue is damaged, broken, there are all sorts of elements that come out, but how, what's the difference between a, a cell that's operating at 100% and a cell that's operating at 70%? How does the how do the composting organisms know that that cell is weak and, and susceptible? Mm -hmm. And I think what it's doing is it's sensing the electrical charge. It's sensing the voltage potential. And when it says, "Oh, this cell is 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 dropping," because the 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 main difference between a living and a dead cell is the dead cell has no no cell membrane, no electrical potential. So when we have our low when our cell membranes are low in terms of voltage from a lack of electrons, I think we're giving the go signal to all these composters. Yeah, no, so that, I, I get that. You know, it makes the cell more vulnerable, right? You know, without the ele electrons work within the membranes. I mean, electrons are what gives it that voltage potential, if you will. Um, so therefore would definitely make it more um, opportunistic for the pathogen, mm. if you will. Listen, mm. uh, Spencer, I, you know, you have a board of information, uh, but unfortunately, we're out of time. I, I mean, I love this topic. I, listen, I'm willing to do even a, a part two, but folks, stay tuned, because even on here, you're going to get at least uh, a few minutes of my experience um, with Spencer's uh, machine here. And um, you're on to something, Spencer. You really are. I, but you know me. You know, I have to check things out fully. <laughs> That's why I love you. But, you know, uh, this, is, this is a big topic, and, you know, and there's obviously scientific data all around this topic. And my thing is, hey, if the machine works, you're really on to something here, but I'm going to test it. So stay tuned, Good. folks, for that. Uh, but also, uh, perhaps stay tuned for part two, because I think what it will do, too, is it will uh, get, get my brain going, um, just because I'll take it from me even into my doctor group and clinically start trying some things with it as well, which will set up a part two. So Spencer, I, we could go on, but we won't another show. So thank you for being uh, on Cell Healing TV and uh, fix the cell, get well is my saying. Uh, electrons, it's a big deal. So th thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Nice seeing you again. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which was brought to you by Fastonic Molecular Hydrogen. Please check it out at getfastonic.com. We'll be back next week and every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We truly appreciate your support. You can always find us at cellularhealing.tv. And please remember to spread the love by liking, subscribing, giving an iTunes review, or sharing the show with anyone who may benefit from the information heard here. And as always, thanks for listening.